baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Venezuela's simmering political crisis is starting to boil over after opposition leader Juan Guaido called on the country's military and citizens to support him in overthrowing President Nicolas Maduro. That's led to some dramatic confrontations. But now Maduro claims that the coup has been put down. Joining the crisis next door to make sense of what's going on in Venezuela is Dr. Emmanuel Adelengi, senior fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Dr. Adelengi focuses on Hezbollah's Latin America operations. Dr. Adelengi, thank you for joining the crisis next door. Thank you for having me. Venezuela has been teetering on a precipice since Guaido declared himself president on January 23rd receiving recognition from the U.S. and dozens of other countries. Why do you think he's making this move now, and how big of a risk is it? Juan Guaido uh, proclaimed himself president on January 23rd uh, in accordance to the tenets of the Venezuelan constitution. One, one thing you have to give to the Venezuelan opposition to Maduro is that they have tried in every which possible way to bring the country back from the brink and, and restore democracy by following the dictates of the law uh, and by doing so peacefully and democratically. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't worked until now uh, because, uh, you know, despite the fact that uh, Guaido has the majority, vast majority of the National Assembly, the elected parliament in Venezuela on his side, he has the constitution on his side, uh, and he has been recognized by 54 countries uh, uh, led by the United States. The, the illegitimate regime of Nicolas Maduro has, has basically dug in and refuses to budge. And because Maduro controls the security apparatus and has the loyalty uh, of the army, uh, we have been seeing basically a, a stalemate uh, in the past four months while the economic uh, and uh, uh, humanitarian situation uh, gets worse. So I think that because of that, and possibly because, uh, uh, according certainly to reports that were circulated yesterday, uh, Guaido's arrest was imminent. I think that uh, he decided to to make this move, and clearly, he didn't decide to make this move just because um, it was a gamble, but likely because he and the opposition have had talks with the security apparatus, with uh, interlocutors in the armed forces. And they felt that they had enough support within the security apparatus to try and oust Maduro. Now, the military is key to Guaido's gambit here, and he was flanked by military supporters in his call to overthrow Maduro. But the generals are still publicly supporting Maduro. Is the support not there for Guaido in the armed forces? And without enough support of the military, does Guaido have any chance at all at continuing his opposition? Well... You know, it's it's very hard to tell. The the army rank and file 
is is obviously the bulk and the backbone of the force, and is is not necessarily uh, uh, committed either way. You, I'm sure you will find the army uh, divided, but the higher ranks uh, of the army, the command structure, of course, has a lot to lose uh, by uh, by letting go of Maduro, because the army has been very much engaged uh, and complicit with uh, uh, the regime's um, illicit financial activities, facilitating the drug traffic racketeering uh, the supplies of food and commodities um, and basic commodities, uh, uh, using that as a political pressure tool to uh, force uh, people into obedience and the opposition into silence. So there is a lot to lose for many of these people. And so that may may account for the resilience of the higher ranking uh, officers' loyalty to Maduro. There is also the fact, uh, well-known fact that uh, you know, Cuban military advisors, so-called, have heavily infiltrated the army. And so there may be, you know, enough secret police monitoring those who might want to defect and, and making it harder for them to do so. So it's a very complex situation. But I think that on the bright side of uh, things, despite the fact that Maduro still controls, uh, uh, by and large, the security apparatus, despite the fact that he still uh, has physical control over much of the, you know, uh, you know, the buildings of power the, and the levers of power, the bureaucracy and so on. Uh, Guaido hasn't been touched. Um, and uh, every time Guaido and the opposition step up uh, and, and escalate this confrontation, it's one more dent in the regime. So, this may not be something that happens overnight uh, or in the next few days, but I think that uh, in the long term, uh, Maduro's prospects are becoming increasingly less tenable. There was dramatic video of an armored personnel carrier running over some of Guaido's supporters in the first day of protests. And while Maduro is talking a tough game, how does he balance his crackdown from too far to not enough to protect his backside? Well, it, it's a very difficult uh, thing to do because, of course, if uh, if the if Maduro decides and his forces decide to escalate the violence, uh, and you have uh, significant casualties on the street, uh, if the incident we've seen uh, on social media yesterday of that armor truck running over uh, uh, you know peaceful and armed protesters. If those incidents multiply, that might actually trigger the opposite of what Maduro wants to achieve, right? Uh, that the opposition becomes more, more determined, that there is more resolve, and also that there may be cracks within the army, because don't forget, a lot of the families of the rank and file who are in uniform, well, their families may be among the protesters. So, you know, as, as people come back home from from putting down a protest and discover that their, their you know their loved ones uh, are in jail or or hurt or worse, you know that too uh, undermines uh, undermines Maduro. So he has to be very careful uh, not to escalate. On the other hand, if they don't respond with violence, uh, the opposition will be emboldened. Uh, 
uh, and uh, they risk adding the opposite, of course, that, that they're going to they're going to lose control of the situation. So that's why I, th I think that in the long term, uh, the prospects for the opposition are better. It's it's paradoxically, despite the fact that Maduro uh, holds the stick uh, and and has the security apparatus still largely uh, intact and loyal to him, the options he has are not so good. We've seen the use of paramilitary groups by Maduro's government in the past against opposition groups in Venezuela. Might he rely on those groups in cracking down on the protesters or perhaps use the Cuban advisors that are within the military to handle that kind of work? I think increasingly so. I mean, again, sort of as as things progress, the loyalty of the army and the willingness of the rank and file to follow such harsh orders uh, may increasingly become in, uh, come into question. And so the only way uh, increasingly uh, to ensure that um, protests can be can be, uh, you know, dispersed and and uh, and the opposition can be beaten up without uh, without the, the risk of losing control uh, has to rely on the paramilitary groups, the militias uh, and the outside advisors who, of course, are there. Uh, at, the behest, at the behest of foreign governments who have every interest in keeping Maduro in power. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the uprising in Venezuela with Dr. Emmanuel Ottolenghi, Senior Fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton says Maduro was ready to flee to Cuba after Guaido's call to overthrow him, but was talked into staying by Russia. How big of a key is Venezuela for Russia when it comes to countering U.S. geopolitical power? You know, it's uh, it's like a thorn on the side of the United States to have the Russians there, and the Russians know it, and that's why they're there. But remember, the Russians uh, the Russians also have uh, another issue uh, uh, with Venezuela, and that is that they have poured tens of billions of dollars into the Venezuelan economy to keep it afloat and to keep the regime in power. So, you know, there at the end of the day, it's not just about the geopolitical implications of having an ally in the Western hemisphere, in the sphere of influence of the United States that they can use uh, to annoy and uh, and uh, and uh, and sort of uh, to annoy the United States and to push back uh, and, and try to diminish uh, American influence in the area. It's also about the money. And they're very, I think they're very aware in Moscow that uh, it's not going to be easy to recoup uh, all those tens of billions of dollars that the, the economy is, uh, it's on its, uh, on its knees. Uh, you can't, uh, you don't even have the, the technology in place anymore to plunder the country's resources. And part of the reason why Venezuela's oil output is, is, uh, has has plunged uh, is is not the sanctions it's uh, it's the, the the degradation of the infrastructure and frankly the loss of uh, human capital as uh, scores of qualified engineers uh, have left the country in order to be able to feed their families and washed up uh, you know uh, working as gardeners uh, or or construction workers in Florida or in Lima Peru and so uh, you know the, the Russians must be aware of this thing and must realize that at some point, if they want to uh, cut some of their financial losses, 
they need to work out a compromise with the United States. We're also seeing China help out in Venezuela as uh, Caracas deals with crushing U.S. sanctions and seeing the economy just devastated, rolling blackouts on a widespread basis. How big is China's investment in Venezuela? Uh, just as significant uh, as the Russian is, although, the, you know, the Chinese approach is uh, slightly different. They go into this country with a typical uh, neocolonialist mentality. They want to uh, sort of acquire strategic assets um, in Latin America, not just in Venezuela. They've been busy for the last uh, decade or so buying land, uh, agricultural land, for example, so that they can leverage uh, that for their food needs. Uh, they... Um, they want to access uh, strategic uh, strategic assets like ports uh, and uh, infrastructure, critical infrastructure, for the same reason, and also to to leverage their 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 influence. So, it's a slightly different calculation for them. But I think that bottom line is not so diff- different uh, than the one made uh, in Moscow. And again, the Chinese must be uh, aware. Uh, uh, that, uh, you know, if if they keep backing Maduro and then Maduro goes, they will lose it all. So at some point, as Maduro's uh, position becomes more tenuous, there may be leverage for Washington with the Chinese as well to work out a compromise. Dr. Ottolenga, you've tracked Hezbollah's movements in Latin America, and you authored a recent paper on the influence that Hezbollah backer Iran is having in Venezuela with the return of Aero Terror. What is Aero Terror, and how critical is that relationship between Tehran and Caracas? So in, nine, in 2007, uh, when uh, Hugo Chavez was the president of Venezuela and Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was the president of Iran, the two presidents uh, worked out uh, uh, an agreement whereby uh, uh, the uh, Venezuelan carrier, national carrier, Conviasa, would fly to Tehran uh, on a weekly basis. Um, the, the aircraft would typically fly to Damascus, actually, make a stopover and then continue on to Tehran. And that flight, which went on for at least three years, uh, was anything but a commercial flight, despite the fact that it was uh, operated by a commercial airline. Um, it was only open to officials. And the the two governments used it to move money, drugs, weapons, and intelligence uh, and military personnel back and forth. So it really wasn't uh, something you know designed to develop uh, tourism and commerce, uh, but it was uh, designed to serve illicit purposes. The flight eventually came to an end, uh, and it's not clear to this day why uh, it couldn't be sustained. But whatever the case, uh, you know, recently uh, the Iranian airline Mahan Air has uh, uh, flown direct from Car- from Tehran to Caracas to uh, negotiate the reopening of the route. And Mahaner is the same airline that carried the Shia militias uh, from Iran to Syria to help uh, Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad stay in power. So, of course, there is a concern that aero terror, the, you know, the, the flight that sustains terrorist activities, um, could actually have been put in place again to help Maduro stay in power at whatever the cost. Has there been any reports yet of Hezbollah activities in Venezuela or Iran's Revolutionary Guard showing up yet? 
So, uh, you know, Iran and Hezbollah actually have uh, a well-established and extensive infrastructure in Venezuela, have had it for at least over a decade. But by and large, that infrastructure served the purposes for Iran of uh, evading uh, U.S. and international sanctions uh, at the height of the sanctions regime. And for Hezbollah as a, as a, as a venue for money laundering of drug proceeds and and th that infrastructure is is very much intact and and still active now of course once you have that infrastructure and and uh you know agents uh, running it uh you can use that also for uh for operatives who come into the country for different and more nefarious purposes so it's very possible that at this very moment as we're speaking the iranians are quietly moving assets into the country uh, that could be leveraged to support Maduro. It's just that until now, that's something that's been left mostly to the Cubans to do. And I think for obvious reasons, it makes a lot more sense given you know, geographic proximity that it would be Cuba to take, uh, you know, to do most of the heavy lifting uh, in, in uh, you know, in counterintelligence, in, in, in military terms to prop up the regime. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says military action is possible in Venezuela. How likely is that, given Maduro's support from Russia and China? Again, uh, you know, Russia has, uh, you know, provided um, military supplies to Venezuela. Um, and so there have been, you know, Russian personnel on the ground to train the Venezuelan armed forces. But we're talking about small things. So we're not talking, you know, this is not, Venezuela is not the Ukraine uh, uh, or, or uh, you know, the, the breakaway republics in, uh, in, in the Caucasus uh, in Georgia. This is far away from Russia. Um, now, of course, uh, you know, an escalation of that kind would uh, increase tensions dramatically because the Russians and the Chinese have, have interests uh, in Venezuela they want to protect. But... Uh, I, I would like to point out that uh, even if we got to the point where the only way to protect the opposition and to ensure uh, transition to, to, uh, to the restoration of democracy was by, by exerting some sort of military pressure on the Maduro regime, I would hope that uh, the United States can play an advisory role uh, to regional allies, because ultimately, this is a Latin American country uh, fomenting a regional crisis because of the humanitarian catastrophe that the regime has imposed on its own people. There are millions of Venezuelan refugees in neighboring countries, in Brazil, in Colombia, uh, and beyond, uh, in Peru, and all the way down to Argentina and Chile. And I would hope that it is the local regional governments who have been very vocal until now in support of Juan Guaido, that step up to the plate if there was a military operation to be had, rather than always waiting for Uncle Sam to deliver, uh, only to be criticized later on for imperialistic tendencies. Colombia is calling on Maduro to step down. You've got Bolivia supporting Maduro. Do you think that we could see a potential civil war in Venezuela spread into a broader regional conflict in South America? 
Well, you know, it, first of all, we already are seeing the the harbingers of a civil war in Venezuela. I mean, it's actually remarkable that the opposition has not resorted to violence yet. Uh, you know, Latin America typically is not a, a place where it's so difficult to, to obtain weapons if you want to. Um, and so it's remarkable that they have managed to keep their operation peaceful. Um, it's it's really hard to tell uh, whether this could degenerate into into something bigger. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned Bolivia uh, because, as you know, the the Trump administration, in its uh, uh, frequent rhetorical uh, uh, expressions of the disapproval and and contempt for Venezuela and its allies, has spoken of a troika of uh, of aggression and of tyranny in the region, mentioning Cuba and Nicaragua as the principal uh, allies of Maduro and the two countries that have propped up Maduro and, and its regime more than any, anyone else. And one should not forget that Bolivia, too, is an arco state like Venezuela, uh, is a state that has been complicit with Venezuela, that has been a partner to Maduro, that is a partner to the Iranians, uh, and that has, uh, you know, discarded all vestiges of respect for the principles of the rule of law, democracy, transparency, free and fair elections, uh, and and we should uh, we should uh, uh, not forget that Bolivia too deserves better uh, than to have uh, somebody like Evo Morales continue to plunder uh, its coffers, uh, facilitate narco trafficking at the expense of the region. Uh, while spewing anti-Americanism as a cover for his crimes. And the region holds its breath as it watches the events unfold in Venezuela. Dr. Ottolenghi, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with Dr. Emmanuel Ottolenghi, Senior Fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 